Good morning. You know me to be concerned about context, and I find words occasionally that send me off on a different path to find out what was going on. But I want to direct your attention to Luke 11, and we'll also get to Matthew 6 in just a moment. I want to recommend to you that you go back to these scriptures this afternoon in your quiet time. Take the bulletin if you need for the references and look forward and backward at what was going on right then. In Luke 11, we have Jesus teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, One of his disciples, oh, thank you. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus began to answer that request. But we're turning now to Matthew 6 and starting with verse 19. It answers the same question. But it's in a different context. The speaking Discourse, context. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you, Gail. I want to step back for just a minute. Um, got a, was it an email or a message from Chad Talley yesterday saying, Pastor, do you have a video clip for Memorial Day? So thanks, Chad, for the reminder, because I had not really thought about that. So I came over to church yesterday. Was it yesterday or Friday? I don't remember. Anyway, and I went through a number of these. And I'm glad I was in the office by myself, because it's these are heart-wrenching things to watch. One of the clips I watched was from a movie, uh, selections from a movie, entitled Taking Chance. Have any of you ever seen that? Oh, my goodness. Well, have your Kleenex tissue box out. But it's, it's a true story of, I believe he was a Marine colonel, and I think it's unusual for someone of that rank to do this, but they escort the bodies of soldiers home. And... Um, I don't remember everything behind it, but this particular Marine colonel, who'd never done anything like this, chose to escort the body of a young man named Chance home to, he's from Dubois, Wyoming. And it takes you through that process. It even, it's, it's educational. I had no idea till I watched this movie what they did for, just to prepare the bodies. There's 
people in the military specially trained and designated to prepare the... Anyway, if you get a chance to watch it, it's, it's, uh, it's special. Teach us to pray. Actually, it said, Jesus, teach us to pray, but that's a question. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Have you ever noticed that when someone asks you a question, their question reveals something about their heart? Questions are kind of a window into the heart. They can be a road map of our deepest longings. It's like having a front row seat into the soul. And so when you take time to hear the questions that people are asking, you begin to understand what people really desire. And, and I'm not talking about surface questions like, you know, well, you think the Broncos will be better this year with Russell Wilson at quarterback? Bernice thinks they will. Us folks who are Seattle fans are really mad. Or, do you want chocolate or vanilla? Or, do you think it's going to rain? Those, those are not the kinds of questions that really get into people's souls. Maybe into who they're fans of, but not into people's souls. I'm talking about questions that go a little deeper. Questions that ask things like, how can I, or what's the reason, or what do you think about fill in the blank? And think, you know, some really interesting questions come from little people. About four and five year olds. And the questions do have some deeper meaning behind them, like, Grandpa, would you like a cookie? Which means, Grandpa, I want a cookie. Right? But they ask questions too, like, how does that work? Or, um, why do you do that? And, you know, things like, why is the sky blue? And, you know, how do birds fly? And things like that. And it's those how and why and how come questions that tell us that they are learning, they're growing, they're curious, and they want to understand the world that they live in. Well, we need to re rewind now for about 2,000 years to a time when Jesus was with his disciples and they asked him questions. And I'm sure Jesus could sense the desire behind the questions that the disciples asked of him. After all, each of his disciples were following him because they wanted to be part of a movement they saw something new happening here. They'd heard stories their entire lives about the Messiah who would arrive and become the Redeemer of Israel. It was ingrained in their scriptures. And this Messiah would relieve their oppression and lead their people. This prophesied Messiah would birth a new movement of God in their world and set them free from the hated Roman occupation. And when Jesus arrived, they followed him because they all suspected that he was the one that the prophets pointed to. So they joined him, the disciples did, expecting to have a front row seat on this new movement of God. The former fisherman Peter never forgot when Jesus showed up at his business one day after a long night of fishing with no results. 
Then Jesus said, Push your boats out a little farther. Let your nets down into deeper water. Give it one more try. And when they did, boom. Nets full of fish. The biggest catch they'd ever had. That sure explains why Peter might have stopped his fishing and decided to follow this man. Maybe if I'd been Peter, I'd have done the same thing. Or how about the tax collector Matthew sitting in his tax collecting booth when Jesus comes to town and heals the paralytic, the guy that everybody knew about. And and, and when you witness that kind of power, you want to know more. What's behind this? Or how about the disciple Nathaniel? Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? If someone could tell me they saw me and knew what I was saying and doing, even though they were nowhere near where I was, I'd think about following them too. These were powerful displays that required a supernatural ability. And and they were recognizing that in Jesus. And so they were wanting to be close to Him. They They were wanting to be involved in what He was doing. I mean, when you see something that powerful, you you take note. Each of the disciples that followed Jesus accepted His invitation because they were amazed by the things He was doing and saying. Jesus kind of, my dad used to say, blew their minds with His fresh perspective and the power that seemed to follow Him wherever He went. They were longing for a movement. And when Jesus arrived, not only did they take note of Him, but crowds followed Him because they wanted to be a part of what was happening. They were craving a movement of God that would transform the world that they lived in. And I think, you know, maybe there's someone here today who would love to have a fresh perspective on life. Someone who would desire to have power to deal with all that life is throwing at them right now. Someone who would love to experience a new movement of God in their lives. And if, if, if you can relate to those things, then you maybe can relate to what the disciples were feeling and experiencing when they saw Jesus arrive on the scene. They were following and watching Jesus perform miracles and teach in a way that they'd never heard before. It was life-changing teaching. They had a front row seat to, to see Jesus provide life-changing encounters with their family and their neighbors and their friends. And they wanted to know more and they wanted to be a part of this thing. They wanted in on the source that propelled Jesus to do what He was doing. They wanted keys to the power in Christ that they observed. They wanted in on the secrets that led to life change. And as they watched Jesus, they noticed that He had a source. 
Jesus would pray daily to His Father with an intimacy that they had never seen before. Oh, they'd seen the Pharisees do their prayers in the temple and on the street corners as a show of how holy they were. But when when Jesus prayed, they could sense an electrifying power. This vibrant prayer life produced powerful results and that leads right back then to where we started with a request that really reveals the heart of the ones who asked Jesus this question, which really was what it was. Lord, teach us how to pray. Because we see that when you pray, incredible things happen. So this simple request exposed their deepest hunger. The disciples noticed that Jesus certainly was no ordinary man. He had a supernatural way about Him and, and was ushering in this new movement of God. And I'm thinking that they might have seen a connection between the power that Jesus displayed and His commitment to pray to His Heavenly Father. And they wanted in on it. They wanted access to the keys that could unlock the door to miraculous the miraculous movement of God in their midst that they so hoped for. They couldn't help but notice that Jesus had a pattern that produced power in His life. A practice that produced power in His life. They were eyewitnesses to miracles and life-changing encounters that caused the crowds to seek Him out and follow Him. Yet early on in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, even when, when people were pressing in for more, the disciples witnessed, and it tells us this in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. So Jesus showed the disciples that prayer is the thing that keeps us connected to the only power source that can enable a movement of God's kingdom. See, the disciples could see this and they, they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted in on this thing. They wanted to connect with the same source that was empowering and guiding Jesus. They wanted access to the same power, presence, and perspective that Jesus possessed. So they made their simple request, teach us how to pray. And Jesus' response pointed them to the power at the heart of the movement of God. If you want power, if you want presence, if you want perspective, it is only when you connect with your Father in heaven through prayer. So Jesus taught the disciples how to access the heart of God. And Irene prayed, uh, played for us today the Lord's Prayer. There was a reason for that. For this is what Jesus taught His disciples to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray. And we, we want to look at, at a pattern in this prayer this morning. And it begins, first of all, with praise. Praise. We praise our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And then presence. We ask for His presence in our current situation. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We ask for His provision. We seek His provision in everyday life. Give us this day our daily bread. Our provision does come from God, doesn't it? And then penitence. We offer our penitent hearts and repent, seeking His reconciliation. And forgive us our debts, or depending on the translation you look at, trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors or those who trespass against us. And then we seek His protection. Protection is the, is the final piece of this. We seek His protection and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And so Jesus is laying out for us a pattern of prayer. It's illustrated in the prayer He taught His disciples. Is that the only prayer we ever pray? Of course not. But Jesus is laying out for us a pattern of prayer. And it's that pattern that will help us connect with the heart of God. This rhythm of prayer practice in a consistent way will unlock a movement of God in our lives, in our circumstances, in our church. And it's not something we access through knowledge. This isn't a head thing. We can't figure out a way to make God move. There's no arm-twisting God. What we do is connect to God's heart. And it's in that place that God desires to move. It is accessed on our knees. It's accessed as we humble ourselves before Him. It's a heart thing that shows up in our posture. See, you can only access the power of God when you sit in His presence. That's how the movements of God are born. When we seek Him, then He begins to reveal His presence. He points and provides our provision. He forgives us and protects us from our enemies, then positions us through His power to make a difference in the world where we live. And when we are connected to the heart of God, we can become His hands and feet in the world. We can. And Jesus continued to teach His disciples throughout their three-year journey with Him. But these, these lessons took on a whole new meaning after Jesus' death and resurrection. See, Jesus, let's say, built on their elementary understanding of prayer and challenged His disciples then to take the next step after He departed and went to heaven to take the next step, gather to pray, and wait on a gift that He had promised to give them. See, Jesus' promised gift would change forever the way God interacts with His people. This gift would grant them access to the power that drives the movement 
of God. It is the gift of power, presence, and perspective that would birth a movement. We get to see Jesus' invitation to this upper level understanding in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. And because they had three years of observation and practice on prayer, they knew that they should obey and do what Jesus had told them to. So they took the leap and built on the lessons that Jesus had taught them, and they gathered and they prayed. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, tells us what happened. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. It happened. What Jesus promised happened, but they sought Him in prayer. They found it on their knees. When, when, when what Jesus promised came true, they received the gift and this incredible movement was born. Folks, they found it on their knees. And by the way, that's the only way we find it. It can't be purchased. There's someone who tried that. It tells us about that in the book of Acts, uh, verse, excuse me, chapter 8. We find the story of a man who tried to buy the power of God. His, his name was Simon. He was known as Simon the Sorcerer because he dealt in dark magic. He called on demon powers to perform miracles. And when he saw the power that the disciples displayed, he asked them, how can I buy this power? And Peter called him out on the spot. And he said, Peter said to him, may your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. It cannot be bought. He falsely thought that the power displayed by the disciples because they were full of the Holy Spirit could be purchased. And we may not think of that in those terms, well, we can buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money, but we do, I think, sometimes act like we can buy the power of the Holy Spirit through our actions. We can be tempted to think because, you know, we regularly show up for church on Sunday, because we give a tithe, because we serve in ministry, because we perform acts of compassion, that God somehow then owes us spiritual power. We can spiritualize and polish up the same sin as Simon the sorcerer did, but it will lead to the same result. And not only can we not purchase this power, we can't possess it 
in our own power. Acts chapter 19, we read the story of the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a Jewish uh, chief priest who had seven sons who attempted to name the name of Jesus like some kind of magic thing or magic incantation over, incantation over some demons. And they tried it in their own power to cast demons out of another individual without a real relationship with Jesus, without the power of the Holy Spirit. God has warned us not to take His name in vain, and that's what they were doing really. Using God's name to attempt gaining power or authority over someone, rather submitting to God and allowing His Spirit or power to be directed through us for our own purposes will always lead to failure. Jesus is the only way we access the real power of God. So these evil spirits did not retreat. The demon spoke to them and said, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? (laughs) And the result was disastrous. The evil spirits leapt on them and beat them up as they ran from the house, bleeding and torn. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. So you want to experience the presence that produces real power over evil? You want to gain perspective on how movements of God are born? Then remember, movements of God can only be found through humble submission to God through prayer. Movements that matter are born in the heart through an encounter with God. We only find this in humble submission to God through the pattern of prayer like Jesus taught his disciples. And we find that connection on our knees. And why is that so hard? Why do we find it so difficult to spend time in prayer? Well, there's an enemy of our souls who knows how this works. He knows how this works, he doesn't want us praying. He doesn't want us accessing the power of the Holy Spirit as we come before God in humility and seek His face and the fullness of the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. So it's this battle that goes on. It's got to be a priority in our lives and a commitment that we make. See, if we, if we want the power that can fuel a movement of God in our lives and in our church and in our nation, folks, we have to be people committed to prayer. Amen? And so I want to challenge you and I. Julie, did you, you might have said something. It's amazing how many things she says sometimes up here that I planned on saying, because we don't talk about this. It's like, well, you say that and I'll say this. We don't do that. So she just says what she's going to say, and then I wonder, what am I going to say now? But <laughs> Ask our daughters. The real preacher in our house is sitting right there. But I want to challenge you this week as you pray to think about this pattern that Jesus laid out for his disciples. I don't think Jesus would have given his disciples a prayer that wouldn't allow them to access the power of God in their lives, do you? 
So we need to spend time seeking the heart of God. We need to bow our knees in humility before Him and seek His presence for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here, I want us to close this morning by praying together. I was tempted to say repeating together, but that's just a rote thing we do, isn't it? No, we need to pray together the Lord's Prayer. And we're going we're gonna to pray at King James because that's how we learned it, right? Most of us learned the, uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer in King James. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we will use the words trespasses and trespass against us. I know they're different. Some prefer debts and debtors. But let's pray trespasses and trespass against us. So let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, God bless us. That is the pattern he's called us to pray in. And know how we need to access the power, the movement of God in our lives, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for your attention today. Thank you for coming and worshiping together with us. I pray your God's grace and peace as you go today. You are dismissed.